Josh Pollard. I'm Joe D'Astasio. And this is Story Players, the podcast that analyzes story-driven video games. And this is the second episode of our Mass Effect Andromeda series. Every week, we play through a chunk of the game and then get together to discuss it. Okay, so last time we left off with... Those, it was just our first play session. We were just getting used to the game. And we learned that we are the new Pathfinder. And that our planet that we are going to inhabit sucks. It's full of lightning. We are going to uh, the Nexus to meet up with everybody. And there's one thing I wanted to mention before we got any further into today's episode. Yeah, there was one part of the story that we did We forgot to mention one final scene. And I think it's an important scene because it's not too often that we get point of view from someone other than ourselves. Right. Most cutscenes, most of the game is from your character's point of view. But at the end of that, that mission, there's a scene back at, uh, on the planet at the monolith the big tower thing that's that's shooting beams of light into the sky mm-hmm. that you've disabled or your father has disabled before he died. Mm-hmm. The aliens are back there. The rock bony aliens that we now have a name for. It's the Ket. Right. K-E-T-T. The Ket. And there's a group of them there, but one of them looks a little different. He looks probably like a leader. Yeah, he's got a fancy helmet on. <laughs> <laughs> and they seem perplexed. They've gone up to uh, the console, whatever, whatever that Alec was interacting with, and there's a hologram of him doing the high-fiving the screen thing, <laughs> and they're looking at him like, what? What, 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 is he, what is he doing? And then this, this special-looking cat, this leader-type dude, imitates him and puts his hand up with like three really thick digits instead of, <laughs> right. instead of five, and he's just looking. They don't say anything. Nope. And they're just baffled. Now, mm-hmm. I think after we get through this episode, I think I have a better idea of what it is, is what's going on here. Um, but what, what do you think? What are your thoughts on this scene? What, what's going on with these aliens and the reaction to him, to Alec? Well, basically, all we really know about the cat is that it looks like they're exploring all of these old, of course, we don't even really know how old, uh, these alien ruins. And trying to do something with them. We don't know what they're trying to do. Uh, We don't know if they're the ones that have caused all of the problems. Or if they're trying to fix these things. But they, it looks like they wanted to do the same thing that Alec Ryder did. But have no idea how to do it. (laughs) Uh, And whatever it is that they're trying to do. They're trying to do before anybody else. Or else they wouldn't have been trying to murder us. (laughs) I got the same impression. Yeah. Yeah. So (laughs) this alien, from from their point of view, we aliens, we humans have come to this planet that they've been, they've been trying to figure this stuff out for who knows how long and we just do it. And they're just like, what? (laughs) What's going on here? So that was the last scene that we skipped uh, last episode. So uh, starting now, just, I just want to go over some quick thoughts. You know, what are your thoughts on this game overall now that we've played six hours, I guess, between the two play sessions, you know what? What are your thoughts? I'm probably more like seven hours in. Yeah. Because I played about two hours for our first episode. And this last one took me about five. That's crazy. really surprised me. You know, I I just asked another friend yesterday if he had played this game. And he hadn't. And he said, how do you like it? And that's actually the first time I'd even considered whether or not I like this yet. (laughs) Um, Because I went into this thinking, well, 
before this game came out thinking it's a Mass Effect game. I'm going to friggin' love it. And then the reviews came out. And as we discussed last week, I wasn't sure if I would. And so far, I really like it. I'm yeah. having a lot of fun with this game. It is different in some ways, but I've mostly liked the things that are different. You know, I, I like the jump jets and all that stuff. I think the the story so far has been uh, fairly interesting. And I think they're, they're doing some story-based things well. So I am really enjoying it so far. Yeah, same here. Um, I It's not exactly the Mass Effect that we mm-hmm. were used to, but... Uh... It's not awful by any means. I'm having a good time. I Every day now, I want to just go back and play, and mm-hmm. I don't always have time to do that, but when I do, I'm very excited to. So, right. And so far, uh, I did play, like I said last time, I did play through some of this uh, during the EA uh, Access trial period that I had back in March, and a lot of the issues that I saw back then have been fixed. So That's good. So, you know, while we're on the topic, though, we should discuss any sort of issues that we have run into i've only run into one issue yeah what's up i was having a conversation with someone it doesn't matter who uh because it's not a character thing it was an animation issue we're in this long you know multi-minute conversation and for the last half of the conversation the character's eyes were closed the whole time (laughs) they didn't open she she wasn't blinking anymore her eyes were just closed she was tired of looking at you uh i and i don't blame her but yeah, it was it was weird, and she was angry, and it just made me more angry at her character. <laughs> awesome. Well, I'm sure we'll discuss her character more yeah. once we get there. So moving on to the main quest line here, Priority Ops. In this episode, we're going to be covering three of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, two pretty short ones, uh, Nexus Reunion and First Strike. And then also we'll be covering the first real mission as the new Pathfinder, uh, A Better Beginning. Right. So the first mission, like I said, is, is pretty short. It's just get onto the Nexus, and this is sort of a reunion. That's why it's called Nexus Reunion, <laughs> is uh, just reconnect with everybody you left 600 years ago and see what's going on. What's the status update? Mm-hmm. So what do we see when we first get there? Like, what, what, what has happened? Well, uh, we, so we get inside the Nexus, and from the outside, it looked like it definitely wasn't done being built. And then we get inside and it's at first, it seems like no one is there at all. The lights are off, right? <laughs> There's just some AI to greet us. Uh, we quickly discover some people. We, we find uh, a worker who's, who's, you know, doing engineering sort of work on the, on the building. And he's super startled to he's, see some people. He's, he's talk about confusion. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He, he was really confused. And then we, we just kind of progress through the building trying to find the people who are in charge. Cause he does tell us that, you know, he's not, he's not the only person. And if he was, <laughs> he probably wouldn't just be fixing random things. But, uh, so we move on to the operations center where all the, the big wigs are. And there, there are other random people scattered throughout, but we don't really know how many, uh, we do know that there are a lot of different species, uh, throughout, throughout the, throughout the nexus. And then, we get to the operations center and we start getting introduced to all of the important people who are working there, like director Tan. Is it Tan or Tan? Uh, I'm pretty sure it's Tan. I think it's Tan. I'm calling him Tan in my head. Sure. I'm gonna call him Tan now. <laughs> he, he is the de facto leader at this point. Um, and by talking to him and a bunch of the other people, we, we learn a few things. We learn that obviously something has not gone according to plan. They say that they also ran into the scourge, which is what they're calling that energy 
thing, mm-hmm. gas cloud or whatever in, in space. Um, and when, when the Nexus hit that, there, it, was, it was a much bigger disaster than what we experienced on the Hyperion arc. It, was, it killed off tons of the uh, leadership mm-hmm. for the initiative, including the, the top person, um, Jen Garson, I think is her name, who was, it was her idea of this whole uh, initiative, and she really pushed it as, as being a billionaire or whatever and, and funded a lot of it. Um, she's dead, along with a lot of like, the leaders that you would hope would be there when you wake right, up. Right. And so there's uh, people have been taking over and people who not, aren't necessarily best for the job. And so this has led to uh, disagreements over uh, the different alien races on the Nexus. There was a mutiny. People were like, you, you guys suck at this. We, we got to do something different. <laughs> and, mo- and, and I think most importantly, none of the other arcs have showed up. Yeah, they're really shocked that any arc showed up because we're the first one. Yeah, they had, they had given up. They expect, I don't know if they expected us a year prior. But they've been waiting for a while, and they really didn't think that anybody would show. And so we're here. The human arc has arrived, but there is the Solarian arc. There is the Asari arc, at least those two. They haven't shown up. Oh, the Turian arc right. as well. So, yeah, definitely not what we expected <laughs> to get to when we arrived. Um, but So you, you talk to Director Tan, and there are some other people um, that you can talk to. Um, first of all, Director Tan is a... Um, male Solarian. I -hmm. like the Solarians. I think they're so funny. I like their voices, even though I would think most people would find them annoying. Yeah, I I have liked them, despite (laughs) despite their their mildly annoying voices. (laughs) He's in charge. He's got uh, the the really the thing that I got from him is he likes being in charge. Uh, People don't like him being in charge, Mm -hmm. and he seems to be awfully specious. Speciest, racist, what have you, <laughs> against the Krogan, even though he claims to be... Well, of course. <laughs> <laughs> he claims to be, you know, like, independent thinking or, you know, what's the word I'm looking for? I'm not sure. But indifferent. Indifferent, sure. But as a little bit of backstory, because some of, our, some of the people listening to this show may not have played the original trilogy. They may not know why a Solarian hates a Krogan and why the Krogan really hate the Solarians. The, the like five second answer to that is there was a war between the two species and the Solarians who were scientists did gene, they, they unleashed a, a gene modification on the Krogans called the genophage that made it basically impossible for the Krogans to reproduce. Yes. It's not completely impossible. Some of them do, but it's basically still births. 95% of the time that a Krogan gets pregnant. So, and a Krogan is like a big, like you would be terrified if you yes. came across a Krogan, big hulking monster thing, mm-hmm. um, who is really just out for blood. All yeah. The they're, time. they're all about fighting aggression. Yes. Anger. And they normally would reproduce very quickly. And so they were, they were going to be taking over the universe unless something happened. Mm-hmm. Not universe galaxy universe is much bigger than that. Right. Um, and so there's a there's a history there. Mm-hmm. Speaking of Krogans, there's also a female Krogan. We didn't see a whole lot of female Krogan in the in the previous games. No, I think we've only seen a couple yeah. in in all of the three previous games. Uh, her name's Kesh, and she's the superintendent. She's in charge of operations of the of the uh, the Nexus, and it, it's her job that when arcs come in, she's supposed to be integrating the helping the people integrate into the system and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Any thoughts on her? 
you know, she's she's one of the most pleasant Krogans we've ever met in, <laughs> in a Mass Effect game. The females tend to be. Well, the the one in was it Mass Effect three? Yeah. That you had to rescue or whatever. Uh-huh. She didn't start all that pleasant. That's well. I mean, she turned she turned into quite a pleasant lady, but not usually. <laughs> that's that's true for all Krogans, though. <laughs> uh, we also have uh, the first guy that you really meet is Kandros. He's a male Turian. He's in charge of security. Uh, he definitely was not meant for that role originally. He's, I, if I remember correctly, in the in the codex, it mentions that he was at one point captured by the cat and managed to escape. But yeah, he's in charge of security. I also I also like the Turians. I just like their voice. Again, I like their voice. They kind of have a... I do like their voice. And I I think I like the Turians because of a certain specific Turian mm. from the previous three games. Yeah. Or maybe only Garrus. two games, depending on how you play it. <laughs> <laughs> I loved Garrus. Yeah. And then we can go to someone more boring, like a human. Uh, Addison, she is uh, the colonial director who would be in charge of colonization and uh, setting up outposts, that sort mm-hmm. of thing. <laughs> Again, she, she is just overall pissed off. Oh, she's such about a jerk. Everything. She's such a jerk. She's the one who her eyes got stuck. <laughs> yes. And she famously <laughs> is the one who starts that uh, conversation with my face is tired. So it makes sense <laughs> that her eyes were closed. She's right. just exhausted. <laughs> so she, she never wanted this job. She thought it was going to be temporary and she's just not happy. So basically, when we meet these these four primary people, Kandros is I I would say he's just he's fine like he doesn't really care either way that we're like he cares that we're there but sure. he's not angry at us he's not ha- like thrilled with us or anything like that. Kesh is similar like she wants to help us that's that's been nice she's been the loveliest of all four of these people and then Tan or Tan and Addison are pretty big jerks to us they they're. You know, they were expecting, and, and Addison was absolutely expecting your father. Yes. And they, they were friends, or, or at least they worked together. Yes. And she is so mad that Alec isn't there and that you're now the Pathfinder. And she has zero confidence in your ability to be a, a qualified Pathfinder. And the same with, with Tan. They both think that they're pretty much doomed because there's no way that you're going to be able to solve the problems that they fully expected your father to be able to solve. And the thing is, they also hate each other. Right. It's probably the main source of conflict mm-hmm. here is between these two characters. Addison, in particular, she refuses to use your title. She refuses to call you Pathfinder. Mm-hmm. And, and in fact, she refused to call your father Pathfinder as well because, quote, uh, you can't be called a Pathfinder until you have path found something. Right. <laughs> right. And I'm, I, I was able to, I was able to, go on with that as long as she would call me pathfinder later in the game eventually sure so hopefully that would be the case so those are the that's the that's the leadership of the nexus right now mm-hmm. and i don't i don't get a good feeling no it's for, a mess and i couldn't wait to get off that off the <laughs> nexus <laughs> uh it's a good thing that we're here to save the day because no doubt we will but before we leave uh there was another there was another mission uh priority ops mission called first strike and I, I, I got to be honest, I don't think I fully understand what the purpose of this is. Um, I didn't spend a lot of time with it because I just wanted to go on with the, the next thing. But you, you can in the security area, you can you can access this terminal that talks about uh, strike missions and you need to get you need to get permission from Kandros. You just go talk to him and he gives you authorization. But what it sounds like is that you can select. It's almost like a mini game. 
you can select people, uh, put together a crew, and just send them out on missions. And if they're successful, you'll get rewards in terms of maybe... Um, like resources? Resources, research points, things that you would use to craft new uh, weapons or armor. Mm-hmm. Um, but when I, I actually did do one of the strike missions just to see what would mm. happen. I wanted to see, you know, would it, would it tell me when it was done? Do I have to just keep checking in periodically? And it gave me the option to r- open this up in multiplayer. Oh. So it's, it looks like it is, it's optional, but you can integrate multiplayer into the single player experience where instead of sending other people on the strike mission, you can do it yourself. That's and it opens cool. up in the multiplayer mode, and you're playing with other people. So, well, I guess that's pretty neat. If you wanted to, if you wanted more things to do, I just sent off some people, and we'll see what happens. I di- I didn't check on them before I stopped playing. And when you're sending people off, is it just like random NPCs, or is it like people that would be part of your party? Oh no, uh, it's not squad mates. Uh, it's just yeah, random NPCs who are part of. It's part of the uh, volunteer militia okay. that Candras has has started up. Okay. And you and I can't do this together, can we? We cannot. Because I'm playing on Xbox and you're playing on PC. That is correct. Boo. All right, so I didn't do First Strike at all. Interesting. Uh, I, yeah, so I, it's I didn't still do showing it up in your journal? Probably. Okay. I, I He mentioned it, yeah. so it's probably there, but I didn't do anything with it. Okay. I had more important things to deal with, yes. like Pathfinding, <laughs> not First Striking. <laughs> yes. Okay, so at that point, you should only have one priority mission left on your journal, and that is a better beginning. And like I said earlier, this is going to be your first real mission as a Pathfinder. And the setup for this is Habitat 1, they've call, they're calling Eos, which is nice. I don't like to call planets by numbers. I would get confused then. Yep. Eos, it's a planet they've tried to set up a colony on before, to, to set up an outpost, but it's failed multiple times. And it's mostly because there is a ton of atmospheric radiation. So just like Habitat 7, that the first planet that we explored, mm-hmm. there, it's just not livable. Right. And so they failed. And, there's, and so now the Nexus crew here are saying, if you want to help us out, go try this again. Go to EOS, please, as a last-ditch effort, get an outpost set up. It's the closest planet to us right now. Please. You're like, you're like our last chance. So we're going to go do that. But before that, Sam, the artificial intelligence, sends us another private message and says, well, to me, Sarah, you need to, <laughs> you need to come back on over to the Hyperion and we need to talk about some stuff. So we rush on over to the Hyperion, the, which is our arc, and start talking with Sam. And he starts telling us that there are locked memories of Alex, Alec, Alec, sorry, that we'll be able to access, I guess, through Sam or through our implant. I don't entirely understand. They're encrypted. And either Sam refuses to unencrypt them, decrypt them, or he just can't. He just can't. Mm -hmm. So he, it. So, yeah, there are there there are particular memories that your dad, Alec, has chosen. He wants you to see these memories. Right. But not yet. Mm-hmm. And he's tied it to your progression as a Pathfinder. Now, did you do any of this? Like, you, 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 you open up the possibility of finding or viewing these memories, but did you actually do any of it? The only thing I did was check out things around the room. His, so you were able to go into, you went into Alex's room? Yes. Okay. Yeah. I, there's a bunch of stuff in there, interesting things. You can go through his log and, and see some messages and some recordings. 
there was a model of the Normandy in there. Mm. That was pretty cool. And there were also some recordings from Liara, the Asari from our, our Asari crewmate from the previous Mass Effect games, mm-hmm. talking about Protheans and how to handle learning about a new uh, or ancient uh, civilization and how to and how to handle that. So you can see that he's been doing his research and is uh, is ready for this. Mm-hmm. But I, it seems like I think it was in that room that there was this shiny orb thing. Does that ring a bell? No. no. And honestly, the problem with me remembering some of this stuff is that this whole mission ended up being so, yeah. so long. Right, right. I, so I, I don't know where it was, but I found an orb thingy. <laughs> like this memory orb thing. You just go up to it and it's, it counts towards your progression to unlocking these memories. Mm-hmm. And I think that they threw this one out there real quick so you can see how it works. And you pick it up and then Sam's like, hey, dude, I got a memory for you. Come check it out. So you go back to Sam node. And he lets you, he, he just, just to tell you, Hey, I unlocked it in the, in the room. So now you have to go back to the room mm-hmm. and open up the console and, and it just shows you a memory. Is this the memory about their mother? Yes. Okay. I did do so this. You did do that. I did do that. And you discover that your mother has passed away and she had some sort of disease, mm-hmm. right? Yes. I don't know what kind of disease I don't remember, but yeah, that, that, that memory said. Is when he first, when Alec first learns that it's terminal and that they won't be able to cure it. Mm-hmm. So uh, I, I didn't unlock any other memories, but I am looking forward to them. There might be some. I actually, I think this this one is called like family secrets or something. So there could be some really cool, juicy information in there. <laughs> I did I did see some spots for uh, picking up these memory shiny orb things throughout EOS. So I'm sure we'll find some later. I unlock some new memories. Oh, I also wanted to to note i thought it was interesting i think sam notes it here is that each arc has a pathfinder we knew that already right but they also have their own corresponding sam so every pathfinder has an ai unit that they can make use of just like sam Hmm. but sam says he's the most advanced Ooh, the others don't do what he can do i I wonder how that works Mm, i don't know we'll find out cool so Enough of this, enough of this, we need to go. So we go back to the Nexus from our ship and we go to the docking bay and we are ready because we're not, we're not going to be taking this gigantic arc planet <laughs> right. to planet with our 20,000 people. Right. We need something a little bit more streamlined. It's like taking an aircraft carrier down, <laughs> you know, down to the next town. So we get our new ship finally, and it is called the Tempest. And it looks really cool. It does look cool. It it looks fairly similar to the Normandy. Which is why it looks really cool. <laughs> right. And it is cool. It's It's got some cool things, but the Normandy's my first love. <laughs> I just want the Normandy back. It's nice to have something like it. I will say, though, inside of this Tempest, it feels nicer. Not because of the layout. The layout is utterly confusing. But mm-hmm. the going up to where the... Uh, everything feels more open. Yeah. Yeah, uh, going up to uh, where the galaxy map is, it's on got the a bridge. nice on the bridge. It's got a nice big. I assume it's not a window, but a screen that makes it look like you're looking out of mm-hmm. the ship, and it just it just feels much more open and more sci fi ish. Right, it is. It is nice. So I, while you're getting on the ship, though, we meet our first new squad mate, aside from Cora and Liam, and that is Vetra. She is a female Turian, which again we don't haven't seen. Too many, if any, female Turians before. Yeah, I can't think of any other female Turians. Not main characters, at least. 
So she's uh, she's going to be on there. Uh, she's going to be part of our crew. She seems very dedicated. She seems like she's someone who gets things done. Oh, yeah. Not always by the book. No. I think it's at this point that somebody comes up and is like, well, you guys can't leave right now. We got to get this whole listing of everything that you're taking with you. Uh, Addison wants this because this is all... This is all for her because uh, she's in charge of outposts, and you're going to be setting up an outpost, so you can't leave right now. And do you remember what Vetra does? She says, you know, you've got, you've got some family that's still frozen. You've got a little boy. Yeah. So uh, how about I just move your little boy to the front of the line to get thawed out, and we just don't tell the mean lady <laughs> that we're taking her stuff. <laughs> <laughs> Love Vetra so far. I yeah. think she's cool. So uh, we get to take off, and there's the galaxy map, Josh. The galaxy map. You spend a lot of time in that galaxy map in the old games, and it has very distinctive music. And the moment I opened up that galaxy map, I was like, yes, this is awesome. This is <laughs> Mass Effect. Is there any way that we can insert the sound, the music? Probably not legally. To no, we're not going to do that. Just 10 seconds. Nope. <laughs> um, yeah, the music is there, and it's, it's still pretty comparable to how the galaxy map stuff has worked in previous games except that and this is something they fixed thank god they added all of these cool animations for when you choose a destination and the ship goes flying off towards them and apparently in the original version of this game those couldn't be skipped you had to deal with that animation every time you switched planets now i've only actually done this once Mm. and it was really cool but I'm not, I'm not going to sit through it every yeah, single time. If you're I going go to from like, say, system to system, you still have to, I think it's loading. So mm-hmm. I think you have to sit through. But once you're inside of a certain system and you want to travel to different destinations, you can skip. But it, I kind of miss the, because this viewpoint is like a first person viewpoint from the ship and you're right. flying to this planet or this location. But I kind of miss the old way where it was sort of a top down and you're flying the little tiny ship around <laughs> the planets. That was kind of neat. This feels more immersive, though. I, it, it does. It's cool. Yeah, I I do like this more. I just don't want to see it every single time I switch planets. <laughs> All right, so we got our ship. We make it out to EOS. We land, and uh, we go to Site One. Uh, I don't know the significance of Site One, other than it was the first. It was the first place they tried to set up an outpost, mm-hmm. uh, and it looks abandoned. Right, it looks like nobody's there, and we boy do we have our work cut out for us. There, no, nothing is turned on. The powers the power is off. Apparently there are some people around, some scavengers who are just hanging out. Although I don't know why they would be want they would want to be on this this awful planet because right. it's not a very safe place to be. But they say that the reason everything's turned off is because it attracts, at least at this point in time, it attracts the cat. Uh, it attracts your enemies, so it's turned off. But we, what we need to do is we want to explore this planet. But there is so much radiation outside of the site. There's like a barrier, like an energy barrier mm-hmm. around the site that as long as you're inside, it's safe. But once you go beyond the barrier, you're, there's a little meter in the, in the lower left-hand corner of the screen that it's not your health. It's, it's like a radiation meter. And if you're walking outside the barrier, that thing drops pretty fast. Right. So we, we want to continue exploring and, and checking out these giant monolith, these black structures that are out there that we've seen before on the other planets or other planet, but um, we can't. So we're going to get a vehicle to help us. And so we need to, we need to go through the rigmarole of turning the power back on, fighting some guys while we do that, and eventually we unlock the Nomad. Right. Now, 
the Nomad might bring back some memories of the Mako. The Mako. I couldn't remember the name of it before. From the, uh, From the first, first Mass Effect. First yeah. Mass Effect. So many people hated that thing. Yes. The, what, I mean, do you remember the Mako? Do you remember? Does this feel better? I guess. Or different? But man, I played Mass Effect 1 in like 2008. <laughs> uh, I, I didn't hate it as much as everybody else did back then. Yeah. I, I guess I replayed it a couple of years ago. It, the Mako, I never felt was as bad as people made it out to be. <laughs> Well, we got this pretty cool Nomad. It's nice. It can uh, it can boost. It can jump. A jumping vehicle. It's pretty mm-hmm. cool. It's got six-wheel drive. It does. That you have to turn on uh, and yes, go up If you go hills. up any sort of incline more than, I don't know, 20 <laughs> degrees, you have to turn on the six-wheel drive. And you can't just keep it on all the time because it, it slows you down. Right. You can't hit your max speed while it's It's a on. completely unnecessary game mechanic. <laughs> so uh, basically what we're going to do is we're just going to go around these two, three of these monoliths and activate them, turn them on in some way. I don't know if you can do them in any order. I think you have to do one, the first one first, and then <laughs> the other two you can do in any or, in either order. And so what we're going to do is we're just going to scan some glyphs. We do, a, we do a, our scanner thing where we're looking for these wires that run throughout the structure, mm-hmm. and they're leading to these glyphs, these hieroglyphic-type shapes on the ground usually. I mean, on the floor on the surface, surface of, of the, the tower thing yeah. that you're, a pillar that you're on top of. And uh, it, when you scan those, it, it lets you use the console at the bottom in the center of this structure. And it makes Cat show up. <laughs> and amazingly, it makes Cat show up. And why does it make Cat show up? These guys are obsessed with this technology. Mm-hmm. Almost as obsessed as our new squad mate. Her name is PB. <laughs> kind of a silly name to say. Yeah. But I, if you look at her like real name, I don't know how to pronounce it. So I'm fine with saying PB. And she's an Asari. And she's a, she's a little crazy. Oh she's obsessed gosh. with these remnant, which she's calling remnant. She's yes. calling. So we finally have a name for these things. All these structures, these robots that we, I don't think we've seen before. Have we seen the robots before this time? No. So this is when we're first seeing these robots who are guarding these monoliths. And she's calling them remnant, mm-hmm. as in they're the remnants of a, an older race. And I'm getting vibes of Protheans. Right. It feels a lot like the Protheans from the original trilogy. But I can't tell if if this is if these robots are the remnants and that's they're just that's who they are and they've done all this, or if there is some other species, you know, biological species mm-hmm. that has created these robots as as guardians for these structures. Right. We don't know a whole lot. Another mystery. Indeed. What do you think about PB? <sighs> She's you, kind of annoying. Why is she annoying? Because it feels like I've got a child in my party. <laughs> <laughs> she does act like a, young, like a youngster, like a teenager, maybe early mm-hmm. 20s, even though on an Asari time frame, she's probably 100 years old. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, but she's, she's just ready for adventure. She gets bored easily. She's very restless. Mm-hmm. And uh, so she, she just takes off on her own whenever she wants. Yes. She doesn't seem to be too concerned for her own safety. No. So she does seem like someone you've got to babysit. Exactly. Like a child. <laughs> like <laughs> like a child. But apparently she woke up for some reason. Uh, she, was, she was with a partner of some, of some kind, and they're no longer talking. They're no longer friends. Um, she's snuck away from the Nexus, and she's just been focusing on learning as much as she can about the Remnant, which mm-hmm. is good for us. Yeah. yeah so we, we need more scientists. We're gonna be on, she's going to be on the squad with us. So one of the monoliths isn't as simple as the other monoliths. And that is because to after you scan the glyphs and you go to activate the console to turn on this monolith or activate it, 
it gives you a little puzzle game to play. Right. It's not a hacking game. It's kind of like a hacking game, but it's not like the other mini games in Mass Effect. In this case, what do we have? Well, what it turns out is we've got hieroglyphic Sudoku, (laughs) (laughs) which is fine. Like once I I figured that out, it was fine. (laughs) But this little puzzle-y thing comes up and there's basically no instructions at all as to what you're supposed to do. So I like push a button and I've failed. I don't know what I even did wrong, but I failed. And more bad guys pop out and I have to kill them all and try again. And this time I try something different, but it's still not the right thing. I haven't figured out it's Sudoku yet. And every single time more robots are coming. Yes. Yeah. So I think it took me three tries before I figured out, oh, it's Sudoku and this is how you manipulate it. And then once I figured that out, you know, I, I figured yeah. it out right away. Because it's a, it's a pretty small puzzle. It's only got four sections right. uh, of four characters each. Mm-hmm. But Sudoku is fun because I'm familiar with numbers i'm not familiar with these shapes so i spent a lot of time trying to see that i already use that shape i I don't know it took my brain longer so do you think we're going to see more of these probably do you think they're going to get bigger probably yes (laughs) i did see an option to skip this one but i don't know if that's like a consumable item that we're not gonna be able to have later how often Mm. do we get these things uh so i figured this was the first one it's probably pretty easy let's not waste it right and it was easy yeah the third monolith is guarded by the cat, so we've got some more shooting to do. Once we get inside, we meet another new squad. Look, like this mission just by itself has already introduced three new squad mates. Because right. now our, this new guy, his name is Drac, a male Krogan, and he acts like a Krogan. Oh yeah, he is just in there to kill everything that he sees, basically. And Fortunately, mostly just the cat and not us. Yes. He's, yeah, he's okay with us so far. So, uh, but he's like a thousand years old or something. This guy is ancient. I think I saw in the codex that he was born in like 700 AD or something. (laughs) (laughs) This guy's been around. So he he just shows up, kills some people, which is really cool. And then just takes off. Mm -hmm. We don't see him for a while, but eventually you do unlock or activate this, uh, monolith. So now it's almost like it's forming a triangle. Right. Like you're triangulating. Each of these uh, monoliths now are have, I think, beams of light pointing mm-hmm. to a location. So in the center of all these monoliths, these towers, it's, it's, it's pointing to the center little tiny island on the water. And that's your next destination. Right. So it seems like we've opened up something. Let's go check it out. Let's go explore. Right. So we get there and it's basically a hole in the ground. <laughs> <laughs> and... <laughs> right you make it sound so insignificant you make well, it sound like yeah it's just we they dug, dug up this little hole but, but it's, it's not, not it's not a little hole it is enormous it is like the size of a city underground it's massive it's huge I, I couldn't i never expected that that was a surprise yeah. to me. yeah and it, and it was a good surprise absolutely a good surprise it, it was it was really really huge lots more robots in here We've got gravity wells to get us between the floors because it's so big. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, you know. Which is just like an elevator, right? Right. Basically, they act as, uh, as elevators, but it's, it's controlled gravity and they're able to float you mm-hmm. up and down. Which is neat. I, yeah. I, 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 would, I would dig that. Yeah, I wouldn't mind doing one of those. Anyway, so you just, you, get, you make your way through. There's a bunch more robots to fight. You're activating consoles to, there's kind of platforms that you have to 
jump from one to the next, but they're mm-hmm. too far away. So you're activating consoles to pull up these little platforms. I guess it's just giving you some practice with your jump jets right. and trying to be accurate, which I find that it's not very accurate. It's um, a little, little loose, mm-hmm. a little floaty when you land. But eventually you make your way down to the console, just like the one that we saw on the first planet in Habitat 7. Right. And why are we doing this? What is, like, do we know what we're doing at this point? Why we're doing it? It doesn't really feel like we do. I feel like it's a hunch. I feel like we think we know what's going to happen. We think that just based on what we saw from Habitat 7, this must control some sort of process, something that has to do with the radiation. Yeah, they're calling it an atmospheric scrubber or something like that. Or maybe they don't call it that until we've activated it. Maybe. But I think that's what they're expecting. Right. And so when we activate it, it it's I don't know if we know right away, but it is. I mean, there it's mm-hmm. a terraforming process. Right. So it seems like it's not it's not doing like we would consider a reverse terraforming. It is trying to make this planet livable. Mm-hmm. Uh meaning if that's the case, if this machine is is what's making this machine is this is what's making this planet livable, then that means it's always it's been here since at least the six hundred years ago when we first scanned these planets. And saw all these as livable. That means that they're livable because of these machines being here. Mm. Not just it's not like it was already livable. These machines came in and they're trying to kill off the planet. It's the opposite, right? So mission accomplished. But it it's like it sets off some sort of alarm or something because all of a sudden we're surrounded by darkness. Yeah. What happened? What happens then? Yeah. Uh, this this cloud of stuff. It's almost like an explosion, and you. It's it's your typical escape escape sequence. <laughs> Get out of the gigantic remnant crypt as fast as you can. And fortunately, it doesn't take you nearly as long to get out as no. it did to get down into it. <laughs> You're out within a couple of minutes. Yes, but it comes close. Oh, yeah. It was coming pretty, cl- pretty close for me at the end there. And it just looked like it was this, this dark gas cloud was disintegrating everything in its path. Mm-hmm. It was just clearing everything out. Right. But uh, we do make it out. We do make it out. And that's what feels like the end of this, but it's not exactly. It's, I mean, it's almost, that's the main conflict, right? And as soon as they get up and out, they see that there is some effect almost immediately, Mm -hmm. which is crazy to think because even if we, I assume we have, we as humans in this universe of the game have some sort of terraforming process, but it probably does not work that quickly. So we're already starting to see the radiation go away. It's still there. It's still an issue for the time being, but everybody's happy. Everybody's very happy with what you've done. Oh, yeah. People are thrilled. And now it is time for you to actually establish a real outpost for this place, a functional outpost where people can live and move on with the Andromeda mission. And you have to make your first major decision. And you basically, you don't, like, you're just going to the spot, right? Right. You just find, you're just going to the spot that they've already designated for you Mm -hmm. and just push a button. And yeah. it's going to start setting up an outpost. But yes, you have to decide what. What are we going to use this outpost for? And they give you two options. Bathhouse? No. Hmm. Uh, you can use this outpost for a military outpost to establish uh, you know, stronger army, basically, for when these cat or any other species that we haven't met yet starts attacking and training up and building your army. Or you can make it a science-focused outpost where... You would use that to put, you know, wake up a bunch of your scientists and stick them out here and have them be researching the remnant and the cat and everything else about this galaxy. Food processing. Food would be a good one. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, You know, 
how to live on these planets and you have to choose and and you've got people in your your squad who are arguing both ways and and they say you know no pressure here but this is kind of gonna send a message right this is momentous this <laughs> this will this show is, what kind of leader you are the this is sort of the direction that you're you're putting us in mm-hmm. so what did you pick i thought that the the best argument that was made was science is great and all but it's not going to be useful if we're dead <laughs> so yeah. this should be a military outpost mm-hmm. it was a fantastic argument <laughs> a fantastic <laughs> argument that i did not heed and i went science because we also like we need food and my thought was I'm I'm pretty awesome. I'm pretty good at, at killing cat. Right. If we you know, if some bad guys show up, I'll come and help you out while you're doing your sciencey stuff. <laughs> so let's let's go science. I did the same. Really? Yes. I, I had the same reasoning of I thought it was well, I thought it was really bad to set the precedent for let's start out military. Yeah, we're not here to start a war. Exactly. We don't we don't want to give First of all, that impression, that message to our own people, mm-hmm. but also to the alien species, some that we probably haven't met yet. Right. That we've, we've come from far away, we're invading this galaxy, mm-hmm. and we're setting up military outposts. Right. It's probably the smarter thing, like, <laughs> <laughs> maybe in, in the immediate to have that, to feel that safety, or at least the impression of safety, but I thought, I thought the same thing. I can take these guys on. Right, exactly. So I think science is going to be more important, and it's not like I'm going to lose the game if I choose science. So I want to see what ha- I want to see what the outcome is. I want mm-hmm. to see what happens if if this new colony chooses that route instead. Right. Okay. So that's it. I think that oh, you just go back to the Nexus and talk to Director Tan. That that closes out right. this uh this priority ops. Mm-hmm. So did you do, did you stop the game then or did you do anything else? I basically stopped the game at that point. I did. I went back the next day. Like it was one thirty in the morning at that point. <laughs> I'm like, come on. How is this not done yet? Uh, so I came back the next day to get to the actual completion of talking to director Tan. But next up, you have to do what we've come to, to know as the, the regular life cycle of missions in a Mass Effect game. You do the mission. And you talk to everybody on your ship. And you do another mission. And you talk to everybody on your ship. We're going to save the talking to everybody on your ship for the next episode. Yeah. Okay. But I, I do want to point out just a couple of, of quick things. Okay. The story for these games and the, the connection that you make with the characters and with the character that you're playing as is one of the most important aspects to these games for me. And... Like we mentioned last episode, when when your character's father died, like it wasn't really, it didn't have that strong of an emotional impact because we barely knew him and your character apparently barely knew him. Mm-hmm. But man, when I established that outpost, I felt pretty stinking awesome. Like, <laughs> like this is a really, really huge deal. We've got a chance now. And it, it just, it really, really felt great. Like that, that had the biggest emotional impact on me in the game. Up to this point. Up to this point. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's really important to the characters of the story as well. Because, I mean, imagine how you feel. Imagine how they feel having been trapped on this nexus for a year or so with basically thinking that they're going to die any second now and there's no hope whatsoever. So mm-hmm. it's really important uh, to them as well. There was also one, one point during this episode that 
that made me laugh the hardest. Oh, what's and that? I believe this conversation was with Sam back on the Hyperion. And Sam tells you that he's, or no, it, it's, it might be after this because I think it's on the Tempest actually. And Sam says, I'm not here. I'm still at the Hyperion and I'm talking to you through, I think he calls it quantum entanglement, which we actually had, had heard of in the previous games. But my character has no idea what he's talking <laughs> about. And, and she says, that um, quantum embezzlement communism sounds great. <laughs> I loved it. Absolutely loved it. That's cool. I did, I did not have that line. Really? Dialogue, no. Oh, it was great. That's funny. It was so funny. All right. Well, I'd like to wrap up this episode with, uh, with a segment I'm calling Codex Tidbits right now. Nice. I, like, I like going through the, the Codex and finding some interesting things that they don't talk about in the game. Mm-hmm. And uh, the first was related to Kandros that I was hinting at earlier. It said in the Codex that the Andromeda Initiative does not have a standing army. And that is because they assumed that when they got here, that they would have the technical superiority over any of the native species. That's ridiculous. <laughs> That's not being very well prepared, is no, it? No, it's not. That's like, uh, well, I mean... <laughs> We were smart enough to make it to another galaxy. We must that's, be smarter than these guys. That's not expecting the best. And wait, what is it? What's the phrase? Hope for the best, expect the worst. That's yeah. not an example of that. At no, all. no. And so, and so when everything went to crap with this, the scourge disaster on, on the Nexus. What is on it the called? Nexus. I keep wanting to say Helix. The Nexus. I keep wanting to call it Citadel. <laughs> well, I mean, it basically is a Citadel, <laughs> right. right? It's this game, Citadel. But yeah, Kandros, he, he founds a, a volunteer militia, which has hundreds of, of members who have joined. So mm-hmm. that's our military plus us. So maybe it would make sense to start a military base. <laughs> right. uh, it made total sense. <laughs> and the other thing uh, I, I read about that I wanted to mention is I didn't really read through a lot of the lore in the previous games. Me neither. So even, even the aliens that we know a whole lot about and aren't really technically new, I didn't really know that much about them mm-hmm. so i saw the 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 section on the salarians and i knew that asari lived really long right i did not realize that the salarians have a very high metabolic rate they live short intense lives they don't live to be much more older than 40 yeah that's crazy i had no idea and that they have photographic memories they, all, and they did all say of that. them do so the pilot which we'll talk about in the next episode mm-hmm. he mentions that his memory is even better than most mm-hmm. but all of them have a photographic memory why do you need such a great memory when you live such short life well i don't <laughs> <laughs> you, got, you got to make use of what time you have i and guess so if you had to waste time like what was that again no you just pull it out you're dead 90 percent of them are male <laughs> yeah that that doesn't sound fun would that explain why we haven't seen too many female solarians can you think of any maybe in mass effect 3 when i think it was mass effect 3 when you're dealing with all of the genophage stuff maybe i think one of the scientists maybe yeah one of the i mean they all seem like scientists oh yeah well and that's the type of thing that they do so because uh the photographic memory definitely helps with that Mm -hmm. so they tend to lean towards scientific involvements so 90 percent are male there is no concept of love romance or anything with with this species the they lay eggs and the reproduction all that stuff is handled by the females as a political thing Hmm. and it's not like, I, I love this person and I want to raise a fan. It's nothing like that at all. Right. It's just we need some more Solarians. For, for, you know, for maybe this, I don't know, country or, you know, <laughs> right. person or whatever. This, 
whatever makes most sense politically. Hmm. So I thought that was interesting. Okay, so coming up in the next episode, we'll talk about uh, meeting the rest of the crew on our ship, the Tempest, and uh, have some some deep conversations with the rest of our squad mates that we've picked up in this mission, and then uh, move on to the next priority ops mission and maybe cover a few side ops missions. Sounds good. Before we get out of here, let's go over our contact information. If you want to shoot us an email, you can do that at storyplayers at thedigitalmediazone.com or just use the contact form over at thedigitalmediazone.com. You can find us on Twitter at VG Story Players, or if you just want to talk with me or Joe directly, I'm at Josh Pollard and Joe is at What Color Joe. We're on Facebook at facebook.com slash VG Story Players. And then, of course, guys, we really need you to subscribe. We've got episodes of Mass Effect Andromeda coming out every week and lots of other fun games coming your way, too. So keep it subscribed. Share it with your friends. And then if you could do us a big favor, we would really appreciate it if you could head over to iTunes or Apple Podcast and leave us a rating and a review. That's it for our second episode of our Mass Effect Andromeda series. I'm Josh Pollard. And I'm Joe D'Astasio. And we'll be back for the third episode in our Mass Effect Andromeda series next week. Goodbye. Adios. Adios.